The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth. And show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. Would uh, children like to come forward for a children's message? Welcome. Where'd you all come from? <laughs> all right. Can someone tell me what this is I have right here? Uh, um, a quarter. A quarter, yeah? What do you do with quarters? Uh, well, obviously I think you will spend with them because money. Yeah, very right. You spend with it. <laughs> Good boy. Invest it, yeah. That's right. Well, in today's gospel lesson... The, uh, the Pharisees asked this question of Jesus. They, they got this coin. They said, you know, pay the... Who's on the, uh, the, the coin here? Do you pay the tax to the emperor? Should you pay taxes to the emperor? And that's a hard question for them because for the, the paying taxes to the emperor meant giving money to the people that were being mean to them. They were their army and occupying them. So it's hard to pay taxes. They try to trick them. Who's on our coin here? Do you guys know who's on this? Washington. George Washington. Who's that guy? He was the general for the army who fought for our freedom. That's right. Very good. He's the president, yeah. And in this coin, it also says, in God we trust. Yeah. Well, the, Jesus responds by saying, give to the emperor what the emperor, what is the emperor's, and give to God what is God's. Guess what image is on us? George Washington? God's image. In Genesis, we, it talks about we are made in the image of God. So we're not just little coins that can be spent for money, but even greater than that, we're marked with the very image of God. And that means we can live lives knowing that we are marked with God in a relationship with each other. Let's have a prayer. Dear God, thank you for the gift of life for us. Thank you for making us in your image and hold us ever in your care and your love. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I don't blame you. It's fun up here. <laughs> we haven't heard anything really about uh, money or taxes lately at all in the news or anything like that. So I don't know what I'm going to relate this story to, but uh, 
Of course, taxes have been a real issue. Some people want less. Some people want more. You've seen signs on Wall, the Wall Street with people with more taxes. And then you see uh, Tea Party people, less taxes. We have problems finding jobs. We're having all kinds of economic issues. They're saying the whole election rests on this economic issue. So money is certainly important. I remember as a child, money was just uh, an obsession of mine. I didn't have a lot, but I remember I, we had this logbook. Whenever you did work, you got to write in the logbook how many hours you mow the lawn, and you'd get paid, you know, like $2 an hour for it, lousy wages. But I remember uh, I would keep track of that, and I'd look at it like every day to see where I was, when I could buy the next video game or whatever. And uh, I also remember going to the grocery store, and once I had my own money when I was young, uh, looking at items by ounce and comparing the price to make sure I got the absolute best deal I could possibly get for that money I had. And now that I have, you know, I don't have a, a lot more money, but now I try to be, now I go and I, you know, I really want to buy organic milk for Oliver, and, and I'm, oh, man, $7 for a gallon, and that one's only three. It's, it's just a constant area of strife in my life from then to now. It's something that's always on my mind. And I imagine for all of us, it's something we think about constantly. So when we don't have to worry about money, like when I was traveling in Prague, prices were so cheap, it, it, was, it was like the best time of my life because I felt like I could just eat like a king. And, and that was really vacation to me, just not having to spend a lot of money. And, it's funny how that money just controls and operates in our lives, the power it has in our lives. Well, we have these quarters. What do we get for our money that we give for taxes? I think we often, uh, you know, we, we question the government. We try to ask questions of where our money's going. Our taxes are being misused. We want less taxes. Or we need more taxes so that money's regulated better. There's a lot of complicated stuff in this little coin that we send off. And money's convenient because we can write a check and send it in the mail and then let somebody else worry about it. And somehow we're not responsible anymore for it because we've sent it off in the mail. I think today's text presents a great way of um, thinking about money. The story is that we have this cast of Pharisees and Herodians. They've come to uh, trick Jesus, to try to trick him into something. So they come and they start with this great, you know, phrase, oh, you're so great, Jesus, you're impartial to no one. You... And, and then Jesus realizes something's up. It's like, oh, come on, you guys aren't, you know, you're not nice to me like that usually. <laughs> and uh, so Jesus calls them on it. But then they throw their question at him which is, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And Jesus knows that if he answers yes, he'll be going against those oppressed people, his fellow oppressed people from the Romans, who they're giving money for these people to occupy their, their land and to pay for the army and the rich. But if he says no, then he's in threat of sedition. He's going to get in trouble. So he knows he can't answer yes or no to this question. So Jesus answers in a way that doesn't deny either, but lifts up paying taxes as okay, but lifts up something far greater, 
and that is giving the things of God back to God. And uh, I think this Genesis 1.26 image of us being created in, in the image of God is perfectly reflected in this so that we can understand this coin with an emperor. And on the coin, it, um, there is, it's, it was Tiberius was the, the ruler at that time. It, it calls him high priest on one side and refers to um, him as the, uh, deified, the son of the deified Augustus. The emperor cult was a very effective, a very effective thing in a growing religion at that time. Emperor worship. And while Tiberius was not as so much into it as Augustus was, the, the idea that this person, this ruler, is so important as to be labeled divine certainly stands in the face of what we've been taught about having no other idols before God. Last week we had the text about the golden calf. And they just couldn't wait. They had to have something to worship for God. In uh, the Exodus text today, it talks about Moses wanting to see God's glory, wanting to see the face of God. And I think that's our problem with money, is that in money we have a face. We have something we can see and grasp and hold. Whereas with God, it's, it's difficult. But I think what's amazing in this text is the fact that that thing that we can see and hold is in fact each other, that we are imprinted in God's image. That means each of us has this ultimate image of God in us, on us, written in our hearts. As it says, the law was written in our hearts. So this means relationships with each other become an entirely different thing, become something that is far greater than the way we throw our coins around. I think money is, is intriguing to me. You know, you imagine before they had money, the way people would just trade goods for services and, you know, give a chicken for that and get, a, you know, a, whatever, a calf for that and this and that. As long as, uh, as you guys don't start paying me chickens or things like that, then everything's all right. <laughs> but uh, I think we lost something in the middle when this relationship between two people started to revolve around an imaginary object we call money. We think of money as this very real force that controls our lives, but it doesn't exist. It represents basically nothing but this trade between this relationship between people. So the problem is we've lost the sense of relationship when we spend money and when we pay our taxes. Knowing that God is in each person that we can see God, the image of God in each other. We know that it's important to be in community and to understand how we relate to one another. When I go and I buy a pair of shoes or a pair of pants, it's hard to imagine who made those things. You know, was somebody paid right for that? We don't have this connection between the people who produce the goods we buy and the goods we wear. We've disengaged from relationships often. In this government, we will pay our taxes and send our money off, but often we don't question what happens to it afterwards. Or if we do question it, we don't do much about it. I know right now there are thousands of people across the country and the world out protesting the inequality of salaries on you know, Wall Street and other places. 
being able to say no or being able to make some kind of stand in this sense is a way of reestablishing, of saying our relationships to one another are skewed. We have a, this amazing model in the gospel for understanding how we might relate to another on that relational level. And the community at the, the Thessalonian community that Paul writes to, Paul's very happy in this letter. And he writes to them praising the fact that they've bonded together as a community despite the persecution that they've been facing. That there's a strength in their relationship with one another and that they, they can hope in the Lord for the coming of Jesus. That they can imagine this kingdom of God that we try to see today but can't quite see. And that that image of this kingdom can create a new reality for them. It's at odds with the kingdom here, obviously. And Paul is often quoted from Romans 13 about how God has ordained the governments to rule. And I think that's true. That doesn't mean God approves of everything the governments do. I think we'd agree on that. But also, throughout Paul's letters, he writes about a God who is completely at odds with the Roman emperor, the Roman rule. Even the simple phrase grace and peace is a play on the Roman phrase peace and security. That there's so many little things that are subversively undermining this rule, this reign. But at the same time, the world would be a mess without some kind of governance. It would be anarchy. So we look to governments and we, as a church, find that our role, if we do value the relationship of one another, that God's image is imprinted on each of us, then we become, our role is, a, is a, to serve as the conscience, to serve as a guide and to say, hey, you know what? Things are going wrong. We need to know and we need to speak up as a church when we need to re-figure out what it means to be under God and within God. And that means the same equality we see in the meal that we eat on Sundays. We come forward person by person, and it doesn't matter where you stand socially, it doesn't matter where you come from, you get the same food and the same drink. And that's a free gift from God. And this is exactly what Luther fought in the Reformation this economy of salvation was directly tied to, to the economy at his time. When he writes about the um, sixth commandment of thou shalt not kill, he doesn't just say don't kill. He goes into an extensive argument against usury and uh, unfair debts and the fact that if you let someone starve, you are complicit in that crime. Luther makes a point to say that it should be equal, that in God's eyes, we are all equal, and do not, we are not worthy of God's love, but we receive it. We don't get more or less for how we act. So this story today, I think, helps us remember where our allegiance should lie. Yes, we pay our taxes, and we have faith that God will work within our government 
and through us as part of that government to rule. But our ultimate allegiance is to God, and it's found in the relationships we have with one another. And in order to say yes to God, we have to learn to say no to other things, and we have to learn to reorder our lives and to take value in the fact that if we have said yes to God, our lives can be shaped and we can look at everything a little differently. So if we, now our money becomes a source, a power of how we can express our faith. We can spend it in responsible ways. We can give to the church. We can support the ministries of this congregation. There is a powerful vote in where you put your dollar bill. And I think knowing that God is the ultimate overarching ruler that deserves our ultimate allegiance and controls our lives, gives us the control over our lives. It helps us to refigure, to take a moment when you're at the store to just ponder what would be the best way to spend this, what is the most responsible way as a Christian to spend this money. So I pray that today, as you go forth, or this week, maybe just take one tiny thought at some point when you're spending a dollar and think, you know, what am I supporting here? What am I voting for? And I think we're not going to change our lives and become hermits and, you know, be totally crazy and be able to never spend a, a bad dollar. But we can be thoughtful and mindful of the way we act in the world and the way we have relationship to one another through this barrier of money and respect the fact that God's image is on each one of us. Amen.